Return us to Deuteronomy chapter 8. In verse 10, we started here last week. We'll start here again. When thou hast eaten and art full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee. There's a warning in the next verse. It says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Beware means to be cautious, to be alert to the dangers of. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied. Uh, If your flock isn't multiplying, uh, let me help us. We live in America in 2020. We are far richer than virtually anybody else in this world or anybody else was in the Word of God. Except for the extremely rich that had massive amounts of gold, this does apply directly to us. I might not own 5,000 head of cattle, but I've got a nice house. I've got my own vehicle, and that is the norm of our society. Then thine heart, verse 14, be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, fiery serpents, scorpions, drought, no water, brought forth water out of the rock, fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power... And the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. The warning to us is beware. Be cautious. Be alert to the danger of being full, being comfortable, and reaching a place where we say in our heart, it's my hands that have gotten me this. It's my strength that has gotten this wealth. It's my goodness that has allowed me to succeed here or there. It's a warning from God. So we continue our series on thankfulness. Now, perhaps it's cliche. It is November, after all, and there is a very big holiday coming up in November. It is my favorite holiday, actually. I'm very grateful for the the birth of Jesus Christ, and I, I love, love, love celebrating Christmas for that reason. But to gather together as a family and give thanks. Uh, many of you have probably heard Uh, Something ridiculous come out of my mouth, uh, and my wife and Pastor Mark know what I'm about to say. Anytime I sit down to a delicious meal, um, they all roll their eyes at me, but I say every time, Matt, can you believe what we're about to eat? I mean, there's you've got your choice of meat. It's like an all-you-could-eat meat buffet, which is amazing. It's a great day and an age that we live in, but thankfulness cannot be a cliche because thankfulness is important. It's, it's, it's necessary for us to have. Second Timothy 3, 1 and 2, like we read last week. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. A sign of the end time is a lack of thankfulness. Lack of thankfulness, ingratitude is a very dangerous place for us to live as Christians. 
In fact, I would submit to you that unless we correct that out of our heart, we will not live as Christians for very long. Lack of thankfulness breeds a focus on I, it's me, it's my, and that ingratitude leads us to a place of selfishness. And as we take that selfishness or we allow that to fester and grow and take it to the extreme, it builds in us an unthankful attitude that begins to push us to attempt to provide for ourselves. And I can satisfy each of my wants and desires. But like we read last week, godliness with contentment is great gain. Lack of thankfulness is a spiritual sickness that has to be addressed. A a great study for you if you're interested in doing it in this month of November, uh, would be to read through the book of Numbers and begin to read through the number of times, I believe there are seven of them, that either all of the children of Israel or some of the children of Israel begin to complain against the Lord. And one of the chapters even starts with, and the children of Israel complained against the Lord and the Lord was wroth with them. That's how God feels about complaining. Think about it. It, it, It's it's easy for us to point fingers at the children of Israel in the wilderness, but God is 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 literally feeding them with bread from heaven every day. And they have the moxie to say back to Moses, oh, I remember the garlic and the fishes and the onions and the cucumbers. And God is pouring bread out of heaven every day. See, that thankful, unthankful attitude has to be addressed in our life. Why? Because a thankful person doesn't need any prompting to worship the Lord. When you're thankful for what God has already done for you, nobody ever has to tell you, worship the Lord, lift your hands. Put, nobody ever has to push you to worship the Lord. A great example from Acts chapter 3. Verses 7 through 9, it's, it's the lame man at the gate, beautiful. Peter and John walk in. We're familiar with the portion of Scripture. Peter said unto him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He take, took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Here's a man that is expressing his gratitude for what just happened in his life. He has been there for a long time, perhaps even sitting there when Jesus was around the temple. He's been there that long, but for whatever reason, it's this moment that God has ordained for him to be healed. And this man begins to express his thankfulness and his joy at what God has done for him. Now, you might say, well, God's never healed my lame ankles and knees. I'll give you that. But you woke up this morning. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got a a functioning eyeballs, functioning lungs. Your heart is still beating. And hopefully all the way through this service, every one of our hearts is still going to be beating all the way through it. And think about or begin to think about what God has done in the past in your life. It's a challenge for us as humans, it's, it's just human nature that the farther away the event was, the less likely we are to be thankful for it. But chronological proximity to blessing shouldn't lessen our praise. 
Just because I got baptized in Jesus' name all these years ago, like 22 years ago now, roughly, and just because I first got filled with the Holy Ghost 22 years ago, God forbid I ever be less thankful about the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. Just because God delivered me 25 years ago or 20 years ago or, or, or set you free a couple of months ago or healed you a couple of months ago, we have to do what David talked about in the Psalms. I bring to remembrance. If you're ever in a place where that attitude, that, that feeling of, of unthankfulness, that complaining spirit is trying to move into your mind, begin to think back on the blessings of God. It's challenging sometimes when we're in a difficult situation to focus on the blessings of God, but begin to bring to remembrance, yes, God has saved me. God has washed away my sins. He provided for me financially. He, he did this. He did that. He did the other. Because the, Just because we're far away from it in time doesn't mean that we have to be far away from it with our thankfulness. God did something for me all those years ago, and he's kept me by his mighty hand until today. A thankful person doesn't need prompting to give freely. In Exodus chapter 36, verses 5 through 7, they spake unto Moses, saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment. They caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, neither, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people restrained from bringing for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. What an incredible testimony of giving. Now, the children of Israel rode a roller coaster, it seems. There are extreme moments of unthankfulness and rebellion and extreme moments of thankfulness and gratitude. But in this moment... Not long after this, this incident with the golden calf, not long after the law being given, God begins to, uh, he has forgiven, he has judged the guilty, this, this sin has been judged, God put it away, and perhaps that is part of their thankfulness. There's a God that withheld his judgment from them. There's a leader that went to his feet or to his face at the feet of God and began to intercede. And so thankful people brought freely. These were slaves. Slaves that had spoiled the children of Egypt on their way out. You see, I would have a hard time and think, you know, I worked 40 years, 50 years, 60 years without getting paid. I'm not, I just got this gold. I'm not giving it up. I'm keeping this for myself. And yet here they go. They come bringing it to this tabernacle in the wilderness. Slaves that had finally found financial prosperity start bringing it freely to the house of God. And they bring so much that it's too much. I do believe the church has too much. Too much if, if we were to begin to give. And, and I, I can point the finger right at myself. This is not directed at you and not at me. But we have enough, I believe, and we've, we've seen it done, to put every missionary back in the field. We've got enough to plant churches. We've got enough to do the work of God if we'll bring it. A thankful person doesn't jockey for position or recognition. Thankful Christians realize I am blessed simply to have a seat at the table. I am blessed just to be a part of the body. In 2 Samuel 19, 28, King David has fled from the face of his son Absalom. 
And he is returning to his kingdom and judgments are being given out. And there's a guy named Mephibosheth. Now, previously, David had showed Mephibosheth favor and brought him to his table and allowed him to sit there. And when David fled, the servant Ziba went to uh, David and he lied on Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth now comes to David. He is unwashed. His beard is unkept. His hair is uncut. And he tells David, the entire time that you were gone, I have not groomed myself mourning for you because I've, I've been wanting King David to come back. But his servant had lied. And so David had given everything that Mephibosheth owned to Ziba. And that's the context of this next conversation. When Mephibosheth comes in unto the king, he says, For all my father's house but were, were but dead men before the Lord my king, yet thou didst set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right, therefore, have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said, Why speakest thou any more of this matter? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. So the king said, Look, I don't want to hear anything more about it. I don't know what the background is. I don't know what, what anything was. But you and Ziba, you, di- you divide up everything. Now listen to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Why did I pick a, a word that is so hard to say 18 times? Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, forasmuch as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. He wasn't worried about what was rightfully his. He just wanted the king back. He was satisfied. I want to pull up under his table one more time. I, I'm not going to worry about the position. I'm not going to worry about the status. I'm not going to worry about the flocks. I'm not going to worry about the lands. I'm not going to worry about my name. The king is back and I can pull up under the table. I am so blessed just to be a part of the body. This is not a position that I've earned. It's not something that is mine by right of birth. God has placed me here and God can just as easily remove me from there. And if God ever chooses to do that, remove me from whatever position or place, there has to be an attitude of thankfulness in my heart that realizes uh, it's not about position. Uh, I'm just blessed to be attached to the body. I'm just blessed to be in place. You see, a thankful Christian isn't worried about their name getting out there or getting recognition for what they've done or what they're working on. I'm just grateful to be here. A thankful Christian is not afraid of sacrifice because they've redefined it as their reasonable service. Everything that God has done for me, I cannot pay it back. I cannot. And so everything that I do back to God, everything that he asks of me, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. It's reasonable if he asks me to go on a fast. It's it's reasonable that he wants me to work in his church. It's reasonable that he wants me to give. It's reasonable that he wants me to praise and worship. It's reasonable that he wants me to use my free time to teach Bible studies and tell other people about him. It is entirely reasonable. Because Calvary was unreasonable. Calvary didn't make any sense at all. Now last week, if you're anything like me, I like to, I like to have specific things that I can focus on to help me be thankful. Um, I'm not super great at it all the time. Uh, it's an area that God's dealing with me about. Uh, but we talked about some attributes of God that we can be thankful for. 
Does anybody remember what any of those were? He's unchanging. What was the second one? He delights in me approaching him. In a world that is rapidly shifting and all of the foundations of our society are shifting all over the place, God is unchanging. He's steadfast. He's sure. And to think that this steadfast God delights in me approaching him. As a parent, I've learned there are times that I'm not all that enthused about my children coming up to me. Such as last night when I'm, you know, trying to put finishing touches on a, on a teaching and, and my children are coming up to me and begging me to play card games. Parents know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. But God doesn't get frustrated with you coming up to him. God, God doesn't get frustrated because you're underfoot and you're trying to see what he's doing. God's not going to get frustrated when you're pulling on his pant leg saying, God, pick me up, pick me up, Lord. I, I Pick me up, God. I want you to hold me. God's not going to get frustrated by that. He delights in us approaching him. He's a much better father than I could ever hope to be. Now, this week, there's two other attributes of God I want to talk about quickly. See, when we, when we understand why we're thankful... It helps us to be thankful. When I've got something concrete that I can be thankful for, I can, I can more easily ensure that I remain thankful. So that first thing I want to talk about is long-suffering. I am so thankful for a God that is long-suffering. In the Old Testament, the word that we read as long-suffering is actually two words uh, from Hebrew translated together to mean intent or the intent being of it, rather, slow to wrath. Uh, it's not the literal definition, but it would, it would work if you wanted. He is willing to suffer long. He's willing to put up with something for a long time. Now, in the New Testament, the word means to be long-spirited, forbearing, or patient. The first mention of it in your Bible is in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5, when Moses asks God, and he says, Lord... I want to see your glory. And God tells him, look, I'll put you in a place in the rock and I'll put my hand over you. And as I pass by, I'll take my hand off and you can see my hinder parts. Now, I'm not entirely sure what Moses saw, but he saw a piece of God that none of us have had the privilege of seeing. And so we read that account in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5. The Lord descended in the clouds, stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. That's quite a name. As he began to proclaim the name of the Lord, he didn't just say to Moses, I am that I am. But he began to describe himself to Moses to more adequately help us to understand the nature and the attributes of God. And when you see overlapping synonyms in Hebrew or you see uh, phrases that seem to have a very similar intent, but they're repeated, it's, it's the Hebrew way of expressing either an abundance or it, of increasing the intensity. 
So when God calls himself merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, he's telling us that he's got a storehouse that is full of these things. He is, there is a vast supply of God's ability, God's forgiveness, God's mercy for us. Now, I'm thankful for God's mercy for us because I'm a prodigal. Having walked away from the house of God, I will forever be thankful for a God that held back wrath and held back judgment and held back my just punishment that would have been earned and deserved. But instead, he was patiently waiting for me to turn back towards him. Now, maybe you've been in the church all your life. And maybe you've walked with God. Maybe you've never tasted a cigarette. Maybe you've never tasted alcohol. But every single one of us has some area of our life that has required us to rely on God's unwillingness to be quick to anger. In 2 Peter chapter 3, even if you can't think about it for yourself, think about this. The Bible says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe it's that family member you've been praying for for so long. There's a long-suffering God uh, that is not willing that they should perish. He is not willing that they would die uh, and fade off the scene and spend an eternity in a lake of fire. That is not God's plan and God's purpose. And so if you've got to find something to be thankful for, be thankful for a God uh, that is not willing that any should perish, but He's long-suffering, He's merciful, and he's kind, and he's trying to give everybody an opportunity to be saved. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's long-suffering. All of my mistakes, all of my mess-ups, all of my failures, all of the stupid things I've done, every stone in my life that's taken me too long to dig out, every weed that's taken me too long to pull up. There's a God in heaven uh, where I, as a parent, you know, I like to give maybe one warning, maybe two warnings, and then I like to bring correction and judgment. uh, But here's God so long-suffering and patient. That causes me a whole lot of joy because I'm a knucklehead. And uh, I, I hope that does something for you. I hope that stirs your heart. I, I hope that challenges you. Not a single one of us would be here without God's willingness to delay his anger and his wrath. The second thing I want to talk about, if you're looking for an attribute of God to be thankful for, because it's, it's very easy for us to come and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And just use it as repetition and use it as, as a filler phrase. But our prayer is always going to be more effective when it's actually connected to our heart and when there's, when there's a deep intent behind it. And that word is trustworthy. Now, trustworthy does not appear in the good old King James Version. It does appear multiple times in the New Living Translation and in other translations, but the word that's translated as trustworthy in the New Living Translation usually comes and is usually translated in the King James as faithful. Uh, that, That word means firmness, security, moral fidelity. 
Uh, a modern definition of trustworthy would be able to be relied on as honest or truthful. Now, why would this be something that causes us to rejoice with thanksgiving? Why would I shout and dance and spit and run about the fact that God is trustworthy? Have you ever relied on somebody who wasn't dependable? Isn't that exciting? Like, all right, we're going to do this at this time. And they're like, don't even show up. Don't call. No answer. No nothing. How does that make you feel? It bothers me. When, when I'm, I'm trying to depend on somebody and I, I, and it's even worse if there's, you know, money attached to it or there's like something important attached to it. I have no problem with somebody not showing up for Bible study. I can find something else to do. Yes, it bothers me. Yes, it's a little bit annoying, but I can always find something else to fill that time. How about when I was overseas, we had marked those that weren't trustworthy in doing their job and maintaining their equipment and doing their duty and knowing what to do. When I'm leaning on you for security and comfort, I want to make sure that you're dependable, that you are worthy of my trust. In Isaiah chapter 36 and verse 6, the, the, the prophet mentions this. Lo, thou trusteth in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt, whereupon if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all that trust in him. The children of Israel were trying to put their trust in somebody other than God. And the prophet was telling them, look, you're, you're putting it in a bad place. He was a broken staff that when you put any weight on him whatsoever, it broke, it snapped, and it pierced your hand. You were trying to trust something that was not firm. It was not a secure foundation. And when you put any effort into it, snap right through your hand. See, that's what it's like when we try to rely on our own wisdom, when we try to rely on our own strength, when we put our ultimate trust in people. Yes, I love every person in this church. I'm thankful to be a part of this church, but my trust does not rest in the Jesus church. My trust rests in Jesus because people are people. People are, are flawed. People will fail you. But ultimately, I've got a trust in him because he's never going to fail me. He's never going to let me down. In those prodigal years, in those teenage years, maybe my parents don't even remember this. I love getting to talk when my parents are here. It's like it's cleansing. It's, it's healing for the soul. They're, they're learning things they've never known. And you guys are just along for the ride as we all heal together. After a uh, trip to the police station one time, uh, the first first time, uh, <laughs> don't laugh, it's not funny. Uh, I don't remember which one of my parents it was, but I was expecting like this, just this massive like, I don't know what I was expecting. I I had put on like every pair of chonies I owned. I was getting ready for whatever was coming my way. And one of my parents simply told me, we can't trust you anymore, and left. And that was challenging. Like, like that actually hurt more. And maybe that was intentional. They're like, I'll show him. I'll get him with this. Maybe it wasn't. It was, it was probably from a very true place. But when trust is lost, it's so hard to get back. When somebody turns on you or somebody doesn't come through for you, it's hard to get that trust back. It, it, it's hard to begin to trust people again when people have hurt you. 
It's hard to begin to trust a spouse again if if there's been infidelity or unfaithfulness. It's it's so hard to rebuild trust. But we serve a God who has never violated my trust. He has never broken trust with me. He has never been unfaithful to me. He's never walked out on me. He's never run away from me. He has always been there when I called. And so God is worthy of my trust. He's worthy of that faith that I put into him. He's worthy of me leaning on him because he can take the load when I put the load on him. He can support it. He's not going to snap. He's not going to flake. He's not going to melt away when the adversity comes, God is going to be there for me always. Nobody expresses this better than the psalmist when he says in Psalm 5 and 11, let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Why? Because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. I'm thankful for a God that is trustworthy in defending me. I believe that there are things in this life that I will never know God did for me until maybe when I reach the other side. And those moments where I felt like God wasn't there and he wasn't answering fast enough for my preference, I believe I'm going to find out on the other side with some revelation that, yes, he was there. He was taking care of me. He was defending me. Psalm 9 and 10 says, they, they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Why? For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. You have a promise from God. If you seek me, you will find me. When you seek for me with all your heart. God is not going to hide himself from you. He's not going to pull back from you. He's not going to not answer your phone calls when you're trying to say, hey, where are you? You're supposed to be here. God will be there and will never forsake those that are seeking him. Psalm 18 and 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. And finally, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You go ahead and put your trust in whatever you want. You go ahead and put your trust in anything. But there is only one sure foundation, and his name is Jesus. There's there's only one God that is above everything else. Uh, There's only one that sticks closer than even a brother. There's, There's only one that would never leave nor forsake me. In his moment of greatest agony and greatest pain, he was trustworthy enough to remain on that cross. And go through it. Even though he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And I mean, he prayed with a fervency so that great drops of blood mingled with the sweat running down off of his brow. Can you imagine what the soldiers saw when they came to get Jesus? He's been weeping for several hours. He's got bloody sweat running down his face. He's been up all night. And they're like, this this guy? This guy? And yet he went through all of that. He allowed nails to hold him to that cross. He he allowed this whip to be ripped across his back because there was something he was going to come through on. There was a price 
that he was willing to pay. It's a price that not one of us would probably be willing to go and to pay. Uh, but Jesus was so dependable that when that great cost was laid upon him, he said, I can take this. I can do it. I will do it for the joy that's set before me. Why don't we stand together? And throughout the month, challenge yourself. Find attributes. Find areas of God that you are thankful for. Don't just, don't just say, I'm, I'm thankful for you, Jesus. I'm thankful. Thank you, Jesus. But find something actual that you can pin down and say, God, I'm thankful for your mercy, your patience, your long-suffering. God, I'm, I'm thankful that I can trust you, that I can put my trust in in you. Can we do that together this, this month? Let's lift our hands as we dismiss. Lord, I thank you for this, this awesome church. I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And Lord, I, I don't want ever words to become just vain repetition out of my heart, but I want you to know that with all of my heart, I am grateful for you. Thank you, God, for not wiping me off the face of this earth. Thank you for not judging me instantaneously in those moments where I was sinful and stupid and rebellious, but God, you were willing to suffer with me. You were willing, God, to, to wait. And I thank you, God, that you have been so trustworthy that I can put all of my hope and all of my faith in you. Uh, you are able, God, to take my weight. You're able, God, uh, to meet my needs. You're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. I love you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I would challenge you today as we head into the next portion of this service. Thankful people don't need prompting to worship the Lord. Challenge yourself. Bring to remembrance things that God has done for you. Find something in your life from years ago that God did for you. Bring it back to the present and say, God, I want you to know I have not forgotten this blessing from this day, when you healed my knee 20 years ago, or when you washed away my sins 50 years ago, bring something from the past back to the present and remind him that you're still thankful for it.